book of beginnings today, the book of Genesis. So uh, I want you to turn there. Now, as we have said, um, I'm going to come down a little bit and try to talk to y'all. Good. Uh, as I said uh, at the at the beginning of the service, um, this is a pretty significant point in time. Um, I really believe that the family uh, life and families today are, are under serious attack by the enemy. Uh, anybody, and you don't even have to be a spiritual giant to understand that. That uh, you know that there are so many things uh, that is fighting against families and good healthy families today and uh, in order for us to really begin to grab hold and not fall into that trap there are some things that you and I are going to have to do on purpose it's the only way that we're going to be able to combat some of these things and so we're going to be starting our family life series today we're going to be talking about the foundation of marriage now I know some of you uh, I'm looking to my left teenagers that you're not married you're probably thinking what does this have to do with me well, I want you to listen very, very carefully because probably more than likely you're going to get married. And at some point, you need to understand, uh, you know, who and how that works. And, uh, and so you need to listen up because there's a lot of things that you're going to glean from this. And I guarantee you that what they are teaching you at school uh, it has not a whole lot to do with what the Word of God says. And so we're going to look at things from a biblical perspective. And my prayer is that you will really uh, pay close attention uh, during the course of these weeks. And uh, I really believe that God is going to impart something wonderful in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we do love you today. Father, we thank you that the family have been set in motion by you. Father, we didn't create the family. You did. And Father God, we thank you, Lord God, for your grace that allows us the privilege to to learn and to grow, that you've given us a mind where we can think and reason. Father, I just pray this morning that you would speak to our hearts and that you would make our family strong, very strong, Father. And Lord, we'll give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I don't want nobody to think that they can't come in. Um, how do we know that marriage is a, is a holy and sacred institution that was created by God? This wasn't something that man just kind of conjured up that, you know, in our in our wisdom that uh, man just didn't conjure up the idea of marriage. Marriage comes from God. The Bible says that that God is the author and the finisher of our faith. God is also the author of our marriage. He's the one that created marriage. And it's interesting to me that, you know, we talk about marriage it seems logical to me that if you want to understand how marriage works, then why don't we go to the one who created marriage in the first place? And so today we look at all the examples on television, and how many know that Hollywood doesn't give us too many good examples on how to have a happy and successful marriage? You think about uh, you know, all the, the things that are happening within the context of marriage. Infidelity is at an all-time high, you know, when people are unfaithful to one another. And it seems like today in our society that it's almost a norm. I was looking at some statistics, and they were saying that one out of every three or four marriages, at some point, that, that one of the spouses have had some kind of, um, uh, you know, ungodly contact with somebody else other than their spouse. And... You see these examples of multiple divorces, for an example. You see that divorce rate, they said now up to 50% of all marriages will end in divorce. And that doesn't sound too good. It sounds like that, you know, before we even get started, that we're already defeated. And obviously, you know that there's a legislation today that is, you know, they're trying to redefine what marriage really is. How can you redefine something that you never really created yourself? And I believe that as Christians, if we want to be able to have successful marriages, it is, it is incumbent upon us that you and I begin to take the lead 
as it relates to how marriage ought to work. The Bible says that, that we are the light of the world. So in other words, that means that the world is supposed to, the world meaning those who don't know God, those who don't follow God, that the world is supposed to look at the Christians or look at the Christian or believers and get an understanding on how marriage ought to work. The Bible says we're the salt of the earth. We're the ones that make this earth worth living in. And today you, you see that there are many uh, leaders, for example, church leaders that are engaging in divorce. And I'm sadly, sadly to say that, that many uh, church leaders have kind of looked at this as, you know, that, that divorce is a viable option. And when you look at the kingdom of God and what God has set in place for the marriage, that divorce is not a viable option. And we're going to talk about here in a little bit how that God absolutely hate divorce. And so what I want to share with you this morning is not something that is my opinion. I'm, we're going to read the word of God and see what God has to say about these things. Because we have to guard against it. We have to be the ones that say, you know what, this is what God says marriage ought to work. And we don't get our instructions from Oprah Winfrey, from Dr. Field. We get our instructions from this book. And as Christians, it's incumbent upon us that we say, you know what, I want to have a good, solid marriage. And if I want to have a good, solid marriage, then I, you, listen, we got to make a decision, spouse, husband, and wife together, we got to make a decision that this is going to be our guide. That this is the blueprint by which marriage works and it thrives. Young people, trust me, if you don't follow this book as it relates to marriage, you're going to have some serious challenges. You're going to have some serious challenges as it relates to marriage and having a successful marriage. And so what we want to do today is we want to go back to the book and see what God has to say about marriage and begin to apply the principles of what God said, because only then can our marriages really thrive and be what God wants them to be. I was thinking about this message. A lot of people view marriage today like a contract. You know how a contract work, right? You know, I can remember me and my wife, we was uh, trying to contract to buy a home, you know, and I mean, you, you guys just went through that. And, uh, you know, how many of you have ever had to sign a contract and the contract fell through? <laughs> You know, you're signing, and, and it's almost like, you know, the contract kind of says, you know, that everything, if everything goes the way that the contract stipulates, then it's all good. But if there's one violation of that contract, we're going to cut it, we're going to shut her down. It's done. And unfortunately, many people look at marriage like that today. They look at marriage like it's a contract. And the minute that, that, that something happened that I don't like, or the minute that you offend me or hurt me or whatever the case might be, that the temptation for a lot of people is to say, well, you know what? I'm, I'm done. And how many know it's so easy today to throw in the tower and give up? It's so easy. But God made marriage to be a covenant. See, covenant is a stronger word than contract. Because covenant says, till death do us part, for better or for worse. That's why we need to do well to tell, listen, to tell our kids and to teach our children, look, if you want to get into marriage, then there are some things that you got to understand about marriage. And so you have this whole idea today, this thing of prenuptial agreements. And how many know that just about every divorce that happens in Hollywood, you know what all of them have done? They've signed prenuptial agreements because what they're basically saying when they go into this thing is here's what they're saying, that before they even get started, I'm going to protect what's mine because I don't know what you might do. I don't I mean, you just might up and leave me. And, and you know, I got too much. But you see, when you talk about the covenant, covenant says that I am going to marry you and I'm going to give you everything that I got. There is nothing that I'm going to withhold from you because we're one now. And so when you enter into a covenant relationship, you make a promise before that preacher. And not so much before the preacher, but before God, because God is the one that set marriage. And when you make a promise before God, God seals that covenant. He seals that promise. 
And when you say, Lord, for death, till death do us part, or for better or for worse. How many know that today, for better or for worse, nobody want to do that? This is a little bit too hard for me. I don't like this. It did not turn out the way that I thought. How many know marriage it never really turns out the way you think it's going to turn out? This did not really turn out the way that I anticipated. I mean, I thought that, that we would have a honeymoon forever. I mean, I thought that we would just always have googly eyes and we would just be eating ice cream and just walking on the beach and that we all we would never fight. And that everything would just be so wonderful. I did not imagine that, that it would turn out like this. But see, when you understand the covenant, when you enter into a relationship, you say, no matter what I go through, honey, no matter what the challenges are, no matter how bad it gets, I want you to know that I'm committed to you and our marriage. Why? Because I made a covenant. See, that's why we ought to teach our kids, don't enter into marriage too quickly. And there are some things, if you ever get any marriage counseling from me, you know, before you get married, I mean, my whole thing is going to be, I'm going to lay it straight out to you because here's what the possibilities are. Here's what you're going to be having to deal with. And we're going to, we're going to cut through that emotional part because how many know that emotion sometimes blinds you? You get so emotional, so emotional, and you just kind of miss the whole point. You can't see clearly. But how many know that once you make that covenant, and you know, I've heard people say, well, you know, I think I married the wrong one. How many have ever said that? Well, they have become the right one when you married them because you've made a covenant now before God. Let's look at Genesis chapter number two. Genesis chapter number two. We're going to go back to the beginning. As I said before, that marriage was not an institution that was created by God, uh, by man, that marriage was created by God. And so now we're going to talk about the first marriage. The first marriage. So let's take a look at it. In Genesis chapter number 2, and we're going to start in verse number 18. Genesis chapter number 2, verse 18. Actually, let's start in verse 15. Here the Lord had created the heavens and the earth. He had already created Adam. And now God is he's, he's looking over at Adam, and he realized that man should not be alone, or it's not good that man should be alone. And uh, I don't know about you, but I love that. Uh, it's not good for man to be alone. I can say amen to that. Hallelujah. But it says in verse number 15, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper that was comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept and took one of his ribs. Now we see where that comes from. You know, you ever, you know husband ever referred to your wives, that's my rib. That's where it comes from. And he closed up the flesh from its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, and here's the key verse right here. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. They shall become one flesh. Now, there's a couple of interesting things I want to draw from this particular passage of Scripture. The first thing is that before Eve arrived on the scene, how do we know that Adam had a job? What was Adam's responsibility? Adam was to keep the garden. He was to beautify the garden. He was, he was to keep it up. He was to make it look good. And not only that, Adam named all the animals. Whatever animal that God brought before Adam, Adam named each and every one 
of the animals. You see, it has always been God's intention for the family that the man be the provider and the protector of the family. It's always been God's design. And so before Eve ever comes on the scene, before she even comes on the scene, everything is already set for her. Everything is already in place. So I, I tell my kids all the time, you know, they talk about, you know, relationships and such and such and love this person. Love, you know, can he take care of you? Uh, or, or better yet, you remember that song in the world? He used to say, uh, you have to have a J-O-B if you want to be with me. You remember that song? You, you don't remember that song? <laughs> in other words, you got to have some Monet in your pocket. Why? Because love ain't going to keep me but so long. But if you love, you need to be able to provide something. Because I just can't live on googly eyes and all that. I mean, I, I need a little bit more. And so before Eve arrived on the scene, Adam had already prepared a place for her. It says that God had made Adam, God made him a helper. She was his helper. Now, see, the idea today, and we're going to deal with that a little bit more when we talk about the role of a man and the role of a wife, but we're going to really get into that. That's going to be good. So, I mean, you, you know, you don't want to miss that. But, but when you talk about the idea of a helper, and I'll just kind of touch on it, it's not, the helper, helper is, is, a, is a word, the comparable means someone who would help with work. Procreation, mutual, look at your neighbor and say mutual. Mutual support through companionship. Now, this does not mean that that wife is to be your slave. You see, a lot of men have the idea, for an example, that it's the responsibility of the wife that she's just supposed to just, at your every snap, just, honey, what would you want today? What can I do for you today? Honey, you called. I'm right there for you. What do you want? I'm at your beck and call. You see, and a lot of people have that kind of idea and that kind of mindset when they say, well, woman, you're the, you're the woman. You're supposed to, like, do what I say. We're going to bust all that up because it is a fallacy. It is a distortion of the word of God. And we're going to deal with that because a helper means that she is to come alongside of you. It's interesting that when God made woman, that he pulled the rib out of Adam's side. See, that's symbolic. She's supposed to be at your side. She's to be there to help. It's a companionship. Marriage is a partnership. And so for so many years, men have abused their authority or they haven't no, they don't understand the concept of how to lead, which led to women kind of rebelling against that authority because you don't know how to do it right, because you look at it like some dominary kind of a thing, and it's not meant to be that way. Here, Adam is in a deep sleep. God takes his rib, he creates Eve. Adam wakes up, and God brings Eve to Adam. Now, how many of you, when you first got married, I can, I can remember that when I first saw my wife. You know, they say, and I, you all can help me, they say that you're supposed to spend a certain amount of time away. There's supposed to be that separation gap right before the marriage, right? And I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's 24 hours. I know for me and my wife, it was kind of like, you know, we just decided to do it kind of like really quick. <laughs> and so there was a separation. wasn't like a two-week or week or all, you know, it's more like a day, possibly a day or two. But I can remember that my wife was walking down the aisle, and I'm standing up there, and, and I was already under stress. I'm, my knees are buckling. I'm thinking, man, well, am I doing the right thing? And I'm just standing there like, oh, gosh. You know, you just, because you, you know I'm going in. Because when I went into the marriage, I just became a believer. I just got saved, and she had just been. We only both had been saved no more than two months. And so I'm thinking to myself, I mean, I'm still, like, thinking about all the things that I've gone through. And, man, but, but one thing I knew was that once I make this plunge, party is over. And the very thought, I mean, part of what I mean is all the stuff that I was doing previously got deceased now because now I'm joined to somebody. And so I knew that, that, that you know, that I had to connect with her in such a way that she would be it. And that frightened me. But when, I, when she first walked down the aisle and in her beautiful white gown and looking good, and, and I just, you know, I just got emotional. Suddenly, I just, got, I just kind of forgot, you know, the nervousness that I had previously. 
When I saw her walk down the aisle, there was a warmth that came over me. Here Adam is asleep and God presents. You know, that's why marriage ceremonies are done that way, that she is presented to Adam. Our wives are presented to us. And when Adam sees her, Adam says, wow, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, this is mine. And how do we know that the husbands, we need to be just like Adam. We need to make a declaration, not only that we're married, that that woman belongs to me. You know, I got guys that I work with, for an example. And some of them choose, now a lot of their wives don't know this, but, you know, because I work in an environment that I do, I see it. But a lot of the men at work, they'll come to work and they'll take their wedding band off. Now I hear, I hear all kinds of excuses. Well, you know, I just, I might get it hung in something. You know, I might be trying to close the door and I might get my finger stuck. Or, you know, it's just too tight. It doesn't make me, it, it just doesn't make my finger feel good, you know. And I know exactly what they're doing because, you see, they want to send a message that, you know, I'm free, you know, if you, you know, some possible opportunity should arrive, you know, I'm game. But we need to make a declaration as men. We need to declare before God and toward our spouses that, honey, I love you and you belong to me and I am committed to you no matter what the situation is. Adam said that this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She belonged to me. And we need to communicate that. We need to make it clear. And I'm always making it clear. You know, I don't allow anybody, you know, guys will know. They can talk, we can kid around, we can joke about a whole lot of things. But don't even come near my wife. Brother, let me tell you something. I don't get mad about a whole lot of things. But if you ever mess with my wife, you're going to have some serious issues. I'll get like I used to be before I got saved because I'm a defender. And I don't say that. I'm just letting you know, listen, she's mine. She's bone in my bone. And, and listen to this. And verse 24 says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two become one. There's no more. Listen to this. The two of them now that they've come together, they've, cons- they've, they've consummated the marriage. That the two, because they were independent, now when they come together, they're one. So shall a man leave his mother and his father and be joined to their wife, and now they become one. Now, what does that mean? That means that the marital relationship underneath God is the most important relationship of all. That that is that the children is not to come between that. Uncle Johnny is not to come between that. That, that, that my mother and my father is not to come between my marriage because, you see, God has joined you together now. You're one. You are one with your spouse. Therefore, now listen to this, that we can't, you know, we can't act independently of our spouse. I know there's some people that say, all, you know, there's, well, you know, I'm not telling my, my spouse this. I'm not telling my husband this. I'm not telling my wife that. And so, you know, people got stuff hidden over here, stuff hidden over there. Whenever you operate in that kind of thing, you sabotage your entire marriage and you undermine what God has established. Because when the two of you become one, that is that you don't hold anything back from each other. There are no secrets. You know, I've had people tell me, I want to tell you something. Don't share anything with my wife. I tell you all the time, first of all, that my wife, that that is the most important relationship in the world to me. And there is nothing my wife don't know. If I know it, nine times out of ten, she's going to know it. Now, why is that? Because we're one. I don't hide anything from her. My wife, is, and see, a lot of people, when they start hiding things from each other, you know, then, you know, what happened is somebody find out something that they didn't know about or they didn't expect. It's like, wow, where did, where did that come from? I didn't know that. I had an opportunity Friday. Uh, it's this guy who was, uh, they're newly married. They've been married for about a, a year and a half. And uh, this uh, man was an assistant uh, branch bank manager, and he had been married to his wife, a, a beautiful wife. He's a good-looking guy, good-looking couple. And, uh, you know, he got this great job, and he had a moment that he kind of lapsed, and he decided he wanted to take, like, $40,000 from the bank. And he wanted to try to put it back, but it was too late. He couldn't because he was already spotted. So he ended up confessing to it. I ended up interviewing him, and he started telling me about this other side of him. 
and how nobody, nobody knows. And, and I can remember that when I had interviewed his wife, she was sitting there dumbfounded because she's trying to figure out. I thought, I thought I, I, I knew this person. I, I don't know what to expect. And then we tried to, you know, we, we had them, we wanted them to follow us home. She said, I don't want to ride with them. She said, because I'm trying to process what just happened because I'm seeing a whole nother thing. And so whenever you hide things from your spouse, you undermine your marriage. You're to be, you, when, when the Bible says that the two shall be one, that means that you're on the same page. We don't hide things from each other. You undermine your entire marriage when you do that. And so that means that I don't make any major decisions. You shouldn't make any major decision without your spouse. Because what? Because the two of you are one now. So she has every right to know everything that's going on in your life, and he has every right to know everything that's going on in your life. There are no secrets. I don't have any secret accounts. I don't have anything happening like that because you know why? Because, honey, my life is an open book. I went into covenant with you. There is nothing. You see, the marriage begins to thrive when there is that kind of openness. When it's that kind of honesty. But it's totally different when we don't make a conscious decision to be open with one another. We undermine everything that God is trying to build. Because, you know, if you want to have that kind of attitude to say, you know what? Well, you know what? Um, you know, I, I, now, I, I'm married now and, you know, maybe my, my, my spouse is I don't trust this and I don't trust that. And let me tell you something. You got to come to a point that we got to get over that. Because the only way that trust is built is by what? Honesty. Being open. Many of us, you know, marriages have struggled because somewhere down the line, there's some things that we're not always sharing with one another. And it hurts. It hurts the marriage. And God didn't intend it to be that way. And so when he says that the two shall become one, that's exactly what it means. I'm not my own person no more because that's something you need to think about before marriage. You know, if you're one of those persons that's so independent that you don't want to share with people or, or, or if you're going to go into this thing, you're only going to go like maybe 50% or 60%, then my counsel to you would be don't get married. Because now once you get married, Everything is open. Everything is open. So young people, hear me, hear me well. Listen to me. If you want to get married and you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, I'm never going to share this. I'm, I'm always going to be like this. I'm going to be independent. Then don't get married until you're ready to make that step because that's what covenant relationship means. That your spouse knows everything about your life that there is to know. And once we begin to deal with that part of it, then marriage can begin to thrive and be healthy because we're submitting to the will of God. Turn with me to Romans chapter number one. Now, I'm going to deal with this for a moment because keep it in mind, this is more like an a uh, in, introduction regarding marriage. But there are some things I got to talk about. And... Uh, you know, I'm just going to talk about it. But I want to share with you some truths about marriage. Just some things about marriage. And next week we'll deal with, we'll start getting to the roles of various, uh, of the spouse, uh, of the husband and of the wife. The first truth about marriage is that marriage is between man and woman. Marriage is between man and a woman. Marriage is between man and woman. Now, why do I say that? Because you remember that there used to be a time when, when certain kind of alternative lifestyles, people, even if they were that way, and I'm sure they've always been that way, there have been people that have been involved in that kind of lifestyle, they would never share it. They would be somewhat ashamed. But you see, nowadays, there's legislation going on, and in some places, you can go, and you can be married to the same sex. I mean, no, it was when God created, 
you know, man, he created them male and female. He didn't say Adam and Steve. It's Adam and Eve. And there's this all-off thing today that says that, you know what, as long as we love each other, as long as we uh, we're not bothering anybody. God doesn't really mind if we if we are living a, a gay lifestyle, if we can get married. I mean, it's okay. Well, what, how can you say that it's okay when the Bible says that it's not? The Bible says, listen to me, God says in Leviticus 18.22 that, listen to me, that when you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female, it is an abomination unto God. And see, and we need to not be so intimidated as believers when we talk about the structure of marriage because how I many know that the enemy wants to keep us silent on the issue? That, that we're just supposed to sit back. Now, I'm not saying that we need to go pick it. We need to go yell and scream at people. I'm not saying that. But when you have an opportunity, when God gives you a platform, you need not to be intimidated. You need to be able to say with conviction that marriage is between man and woman. That's not my idea. That's God's idea. It's God's idea. But look at this in Romans chapter number 1. And look at verse number 24. It says, therefore, God also gave them up. Again, he's talking about them. He's talking about people that refuse to do it God's way. God also gave them up to uncleanliness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. And worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Now, I don't know about you, but you can't get much clearer than that. You know, and I'm always fascinated when I hear people say, you know, it's like, well, you tell people what the word of God says. Well, that's just your, that's just your interpretation. You can believe what you want to believe. I can believe what I want to believe. It's amazing that whenever people don't want to adhere to the principles of the word of God, it always come down to, well, it's an interpretation issue. For an example, you know, as a policeman, I used to work patrol. And I used to work the street. I can remember that, you know, when I would pull somebody over, you know, for example, let's say they, they, they went through a stop sign. That's one of my little things I used to give people tickets for back in the day, way back in the day. And they would say to me, well, you know, I said, well, did, did you see the stop sign? Yeah. Well, why didn't you stop? Well, there's no cars coming. Nobody was there. And I did slow down. Okay. But, but, but the sign, the octagon-shaped sign, is that an octagon shape? Is that right? The way stop sign is shaped? Yeah. The big, yeah. the big thing says, you know, S-T-O-P. Now, how many ways can you interpret stop? How many, how many know that stop means what? Stop. I have people try to explain to me, well, I know that's what it says, but, but, but nobody was coming, so it's okay. In other words, they were saying they didn't want to obey what was there, what was very clear. And so then they tried to convince me that I'm the one with the problem because why are you giving me a ticket? I didn't jeopardize anybody's life. I mean, I did slow down. I just didn't come to a complete stop. Now, I'm sure that, you know, that if you talk to somebody over to my left, they can probably tell you what stop means. Stop means what? Stop. But it's always, it's an interpretation. And they, the people normally say that. Why do they say that? Because you know why? Because I don't want to obey what the sign says. It's kind of the same way with the word of God. The word of God is clear about, see, first of all, there's no such thing of a homosexual marriage. There is no marriage. God is the one who defined, he, he's the one who, who uh, thought of the idea of marriage. And God said that marriage is between a man and a woman. And it, but it's interesting that he says there that he gave them up to dishonor their bodies. 
He gave them up to dishonor their bodies to the point that they receive some kind of judgment. For an example, you talk about you know, uh, sexual diseases and all of these kinds of things. And anybody that I know that is involved in that kind of lifestyle, generally speaking, they're not all that happy and all that excited. There are some unhappy people because they know that in their hearts that what they're doing and the way they're living is wrong. And my daughter was telling me today, a couple weeks ago, I think last week she was saying, well, in school, that, that you know, that, that bisexuality is kind of like a common thing now. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And see, this is as parents, we got to say, wait a minute, what does the word of God says about that? The word of God does not support that kind of lifestyle. And we need to say it the way that it is. In 2 Timothy chapter number 4, and you can turn there if you like. But some of us know today that, for an example, that in some churches now, I was sitting, there, I was sitting on the couch one day watching television. Man, I saw this. I almost got a trash can and started throwing up. But I'm here, I'm sitting there on my couch. I don't watch a whole lot of TV. I mean, pretty much ESPN. My kids tell you that, and that's about it, a little football and and I'm sitting there trying to watch. I just want to watch some news. I just want to catch up. You know, I just want to see what's going on in the world, right? And they show, they're talking about these gay marriages. And they got, you know, men just kissing each other. And women kissing. And I'm, I'm sitting, I'm like, oh, my, stop. Now, you look at that and laugh. But let me tell you something, that it's becoming more and more prevalent today. And if you listen to the politicians, they won't even say anything about it because they want to get elected. Even if they have Christian convictions, they're not going to say anything about it because, you know, if I say that this is wrong, I won't get elected in office. Well, you just can't get my vote. If you're not going to support what the word of God says, you won't get my vote. And so <laughs> you got these people who say, for an example, preachers and supposed preachers who are pastors that are called by God. Let me tell you something. They're not called by God involved in that. Don't be deceived. Because a man that is really called by God, if you're a preacher, you know, that kind of activity, you know, you don't allow. Now, that is not to say, because somebody may be thinking, well, you know, pastor, he just hate homosexuals. No, no, I don't hate homo. I love them. I love, listen, come to the church. Come here and sit down and, and, and get some good teaching. Because I mean, though, the church is a place for all people. So I want to see them saved. I want to see them redeemed. I, listen, God, God doesn't, listen, God hates that kind of lifestyle because he knows what it does. He knows what it could do and how it can destroy us. And so it, it is a hard thing whereby I, I, we, we care about people and about the institution of marriage the way God intended it to be. But look at this in, in uh, uh, 2 Timothy chapter number 4. Watch this. Verse number 1. Paul is talking to young Timothy who's a pastor. He says now, I charge you now, therefore, before God and Lord Jesus Christ, who would judge the living and dead at his appearing and his kingdom. When he says, I charge you, what he's saying to him, he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, I want to command you to do something now, Timothy. Timothy, this is not an option. This is a command. Preach the word. Watch this now. Be ready in season and out of season. In other words, tell people the truth whether they want to hear it or they don't. Because there's coming a time when people don't want to endure sound doctrine, the scripture says. But here's what they would do. But according to their own lust, they will heap up teachers according to their own desire. Because they have itching ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned to fables. So here's what people say. Well, you know what? I don't really, I don't really like that thing what God says about that, that, that you know, two people can't get married. They just love each other. It doesn't matter if they're homosexual or not. God, God, you know, I don't really like that. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to find me somebody that's going to teach and marry me. I'm going to find somebody that's going to scratch that itch. See, when they have itching ears, meaning that how many of you have ever itched? You know, whenever, you know like, like me, when I get an itch because I can't reach my back because my arms are too big. And, uh, you know, but... 
you know, whenever I get, I get my wife, I say, honey, can you scratch my back? I mean, and it's itching real bad. It's like, oh, man, that, that, that feels great. That's kind of like what these, what these folks would do. They will find somebody that will satisfy them or teach them what they want to hear and not the truth of what God's word says. But the warning was to Timothy to preach the word in season and out of season. I want to challenge you young people that when you go to school that you preach the word. That doesn't mean that you got a pulpit and you got to sit it like this in front of them, but you need to be able to say to them, God says that's wrong. That lifestyle is wrong. And not be ashamed. And it sickens me the people who say, who are in politics, who are in government, who say, I'm a Christian, I love the word, I love the Lord, but yet say that I believe the civil union is okay and everything should be good, it's all right. It troubles me because God doesn't support it. So we're to hate the sin, but we're to love the sinner. Secondly, marriage is to be permanent. Permanent. I'm look at the Matthew uh, chapter number 19. Matthew chapter 19. I'll just read this verse to you. Here that the, the Pharisees used to divorce a woman for any cause. You know, it used to be that whenever they just wanted to get a divorce, if they didn't like her, if her breast smelled bad on a particular day and they just wanted out, they would just go and write a bill of a divorce, a certificate of divorce. This is how they were back in those days. I don't like her, and, you know, I just want out. It's almost kind of like what people do today. But here, Jesus is kind of having a conversation. And, and the Pharisees, they, they want to get Jesus' approval for divorce. And look what Jesus says in, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 19. Listen to this. Now, it came to pass when Jesus had finished these saying that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and great multitudes followed him. The Pharisees, they came to him, testing him, and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? I mean, I mean, no, any, I mean, they, they, I want to just divorce my, for any reason at all. And he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning male, made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, what God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted divorce, uh, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And so we can see here that it was always God's design that marriage was to be permanent. But because of the hardness of people's heart, because, you know, Moses knew that the people are still going to try to figure out a way to get out of marriage, then there is a provision for marriage. And usually that's infidelity. That is the only provision in desertion are the only two provisions for divorce. And here the Pharisees just want to get out of the marriage. They want to justify their behavior. And Jesus let them know that from the beginning, God has never, ever intended marriage to be divided. He said, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And so it's always been God's heart and desire that when you come into covenant agreement with regard to marriage, that you stay with your partner permanently. It's always been God's desire. Turn back one book to Malachi. And I want, you to, I want you to listen to this. Malachi chapter number 2. And you can write these down if you don't want to read them with me. I just got to read the scripture to you because I don't want you to think it's just my opinion. But look at this in, in verse number 13. And this is the second thing you do. And this is God talking about the, the leaders, how they weren't doing what they were supposed to do and how they were mistreating their spouses and all that. He said, you cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore nor receive it with goodwill from your hand. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the spirit? And why one? He seeks a godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates 
divorce. For it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. And one of the things about divorce and the reason why it, it hurts so much, and those who have experienced it, I mean, they will tell you that there's, it's, it's sort of like, it's almost like violence. I thought it was interesting that the Lord likens divorce to violence because it rips apart. And so whenever there's that ripping apart, there are deep wounds and it hurts. And the reason why it hurts so bad, the reason why it's so hard to to bounce back from is because God has never, ever intended the marital relationship relationship to be something that is temporary. And so when it when it rips apart, you're talking about it rips apart families, homes, relationship, emotional problems. All of these kind of problems come from divorce. And so even though one would say, well, you know, and I've known people that try to look through the Bible and try to figure out a reason to get a divorce. They, they, well, they need to find something. But they, they don't understand the heart of God, that the heart of God is always reconciliation. You know, every time that I do any kind of marriage counseling, it is all, and I heard people t- say, say some of the horrible things. I mean, some horrible things. And I always tell them that, you know what? You know, let's work toward reconciliation. Let's watch God bring healing in this situation. You mean to tell me your God, who created the heavens and the earth, who is all-powerful, he can do all that, but when it comes to my marriage, he can't heal my marriage. Let me know that no matter what problem we are experiencing as people that are married, that God can heal it and make us healthy. But we just have to adopt his way of thinking. It's interesting that God says he hates divorce. I don't think he could be more clear than that. In other words, he hates it. Because why does he hate it? Because he knows what it does. It destroys and tears away at the fiber of what God has called us to do. Marriage is the only vehicle by which sexuality is to be expressed. Hebrews 13.4 says that marriage is, is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. I hear that, hear that young people. You know, you know what fornication means? That any sexual contact outside of the context of marriage, or if you're married, if you have sexual contact with someone other than your spouse, God said that he's going to judge it. I don't think God could be any more clearer than that. And I've heard guys tell me at work, they say, well, you know, well, what about, uh, you know, because, you know, men generally are more possessive over their daughters, you know. They, you know, men protect their daughters, you know. And I've heard guys tell me, they say to me, well, well, so, so, um, so, I mean, so I know that's how you are with your daughter, but, I mean, you're gonna, your boy is okay, right? I mean, he can, he's a man, you know. And that's what guys say, you know, well, you know, he's a man, so he should kind of be, you know, he should kind of understand. No, 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 no. Fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. We raise our kids the same way, male and female. We raise them both to say that no sex outside of marriage. Why? Because when you start getting involved in that, the Bible says that the sexuality is a spiritual connection. So every time that you connect with someone that way, then, then you're giving yourself to that person. And that's you giving them your emotions. That's the most intimate thing you can do. Your emotions, you know, and there are a lot of people have experienced hurt and pain because of sex that is outside of the context of marriage. You know, and there's a there's an old saying now that and I was talking with somebody the other day and they said, well, you know what? I believe in try before you buy it. You know, I, I, I want to give it a, before I just jump in. It, I need I need to know what I'm going to get. Oh, wait a minute. But think about it this way. And the reason why they say that is because of this. Because they've been involved in multiple relationships with different people. But see, that's what happens when you start having sex outside of marriage. It distorts everything. Because see, the beautiful, I told my kids, all of them, I tell my, my two older ones, I tell them all the time, I said, my job is your father and your, and your mother and your father. Now, you may not listen to what I tell you, but my job is that when you get married, that I want to be able to present you to your spouse and you being a chaste version. That the two of you have never been with anybody that all of your life, the only person that you've ever been with is your wife. You know why? When it happens that way, you have nothing to compare it against. And you won't be thinking about this, I need to try it before I buy it. Because all of that is outside of the parameters of what God set has set in place 
and it's going to cause you some serious problems and complications whenever you engage in anything like that outside of marriage. Because sexuality is only designed for marriage. I know that all the other people, you know, I'm looking at you now. You all looking at me. I'm talking about young people. They're thinking to themselves, well, wait a minute, my, my, my boy, you know, what am I supposed to do? Well, you got to learn how to do it God's way. Because to do it any other way, you're setting yourself up. I can tell you that I wish there was a lot of things, if I knew what I know now, then, back then, there would be a lot of things that I would be doing different today. Or, or not today, but back then. I would do a lot of things different back then if I knew what I knew today. Back then, then things would, be a lot, would have been a lot different in how I live my life. Because everybody knows who have violated the word of God that there are always consequences. You cannot violate the will of God, the word of God, and think that, you know, my life is just going to be a great life. I'm not going to have any problem behind it. So I know that it's a popular thing. I know that everybody is saying, you know what, let's try before we buy. It's okay, but let me tell you something. It's not okay. Because there have been a lot of people that have suffered some serious problems. There have been people that have been locked up. There have been people that have been killed because of immorality and sex outside of the context of marriage. And so we're just not going to buy into it. We're gonna, we need to be the kind of people to say, you know what, I don't care what's popular. I don't care what everybody else is saying. I want to do marriage God's way. I want to wait for that person that God has set in motion for me. Now, you know, it's not a popular thing, but it's the key to having a healthy and good marriage as we do it God's way. And in closing, as we have laid a foundation, that foundation being that God is the one that has established a marriage, and that if we want to have a successful marriage, we need to get back to the book and find out what God has to say about our marriage. Bible says that in Proverbs, I believe, uh, Proverbs 18.22, that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And I believe that can also apply to a husband. The Bible says it's good to have a, a spouse and to be married. But if our marriage is struggling today, the reason is I believe that in some areas, somebody is not submitting to the will of God. If there's a struggle in your marriage in any place, I mean, you look down through it, somebody somewhere is not obeying the word of God. And once we can get back to the foundation of marriage and begin to, to do it the way God has called us to do it, then and only then will we, will we experience the kind of life, a marital relationship that God wants us to have. Let's bow our heads.